Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about cancer research and COVID-19 with Dr. Akiko Iwasaki. Dr. Iwasaki is the Waldemar von Zedwitz Professor of Immunobiology and a Professor of Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a Professor of Surgical Oncology. So, Akiko, I I think that um, I know you uh, from all of your work in cancer, but maybe we can um, take a step back and you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. So I am an immunologist. Uh, My lab has been studying how immune responses are generated against different viruses. So over the years, we've learned a lot about the immune system through studying infection with a variety of viruses, including herpes virus, influenza virus, not rhinovirus, and many others. Um, and so what we've been able to do is we uh, leverage this understanding of antiviral immunity uh, to apply it to cancer. And so, for example, we've been understanding how T cells are activated against viruses and how they migrate throughout the body to fight against viral infection. And we leverage this understanding to apply it to a uh, local tumor environment where we can um, trigger T cells to be recruited to a particular site, in this case, tumor, uh, to be able to attack the tumor cells better. And so that that really sounds a lot like immunotherapy, which has been such a huge advance. Is that kind of where that goes? Right. It is a form of immunotherapy. So this uh, strategy that I'm describing is called prime and pull. Uh, prime uh, describes the fact that we are priming uh, T-cell response against a specific antigen. Uh, so in this case, we are targeting uh, tumor antigens. And pull refers to the fact that we are um, eliciting T-cell recruitment to the site using chemokines. So this is a two-step vaccination strategy to target the immune cells to the site of uh, tumor growth. And it's a little bit more um, specific than a a checkpoint inhibitor therapy where we are kind of uh, taking out the break uh, from all T-cells. But in our case, we are targeting specific specific antigens um, that the tumors express uh, with a uh, targeted prime and pool approach. And so how how do the viruses play into that prime and pool approach? Right. So virus, uh, we are targeting viral-induced tumors, such as um, human papillomavirus-induced, um, you know, cervical tumors. And uh, essentially what we're doing is to uh, stimulate T-cells against the virus antigens uh, with the prime and pulling them into the site, in this case, the cervix, using chemokines or chemokine-inducing agent. Um, so that's where the virus comes in. Viruses actually cause uh, many, many different types of tumors, including cervical cancer. And we're kind of uh, using virus as a tag to be able to uh, stimulate the specific T cell immunity against those tumor cells. 
And so, so that's kind of interesting, right? Like, so you take these T cells and, and you prime them to this virus uh, so that you can kind of attack the cancer. But recently, your research has kind of shifted now that we're all thinking about another virus uh, being COVID-19. So tell us how, how that pivot happened. Yeah. So um, when the news about the COVID-19 started to emerge, uh, we quickly reorganized the laboratory so that we can all focus on the COVID-19 research. Um, so I remember having a lab meeting, uh, asking the lab members if anybody's interested in working on COVID-19 and to um, help with the COVID-19 testing through, throughout the community. And uh, virtually everybody stepped up to the um, challenge. So essentially everyone, you know, just sort of one day stopped doing their um, other research to focus on COVID-19 very quickly. And so, so, I mean, you were previously studying things like cancer-related viruses, HPV, and, and so on. How is COVID-19 similar versus different? And, and so how, how could you kind of focus on another virus? Yeah, so um, the advantage uh, of what we've been doing is that we, we weren't focusing on any particular virus. Uh, so as I mentioned, you know, we've been studying um, genital herpes, um, influenza virus causing the flu symptoms, rhinoviruses in the nose. And so we were pretty versatile to begin with. Uh, so we were able to quickly focus on COVID-19 because of our expertise in the respiratory virus infection. Um, and it wasn't uh, that much of a leap for us to, uh, you know, pivot to COVID-19. So, so is COVID-19 like every other virus, though? I mean, because it seems, I mean, we've all kind of I shouldn't say we all, but many of us have experienced rhinovirus, right? Rhinovirus is the virus that gives us the common cold, right? But but it doesn't have the impact that COVID-19 has had. So in terms of the virus itself, are they different? Oh, yes. Every virus is very different. Uh, every virus has its unique way of um, evading the immune system and to transmit from one host to another. And so even though we, we were studying other respiratory viruses, COVID-19 is uh, by far the, the most um, severe uh, and, uh, you know, contagious virus we have um, shifted to studying. And uh, part of it has to do with the fact that none of us had uh, any pre-existing immunity to this virus. And so, you know, I, I would imagine that when this uh, pandemic hit, um, and many researchers like yourself and people in your lab started to try to figure out in a very rapid fashion what was going on with this virus. It, I mean, the fact that you were actually studying immunity uh, in terms of viruses and how you could get, you know, your immune system to attack. Uh, seems to be really relevant because as we try to figure out how can people resist this virus, uh, which is completely novel to all of our immune systems, and potentially develop a vaccine, um, that was really interesting. So tell us a little bit more about what you did in your lab to, to move that research forward. 
Yeah, so as you say, we were very fortunate to be in a position we were uh, because of our, you know, previous experience as well as um, understanding in general about uh, antiviral immunity to be able to quickly uh, tackle some of the key aspects of COVID-19. So, for instance, we are studying in real time immune response to COVID-19 from patients that enroll in our study um, and uh, really trying to figure out what type of immune responses uh, confer protection and recovery versus which of those uh, immune responses lead to uh, worse disease outcome and um, even to death. So uh, we were able to mobilize the team to be able to look at these issues. And the, the fact that we were able to do this um, also has to do with um, our, our collaborators. We, we have a large, large network of collaborators who are uh, recruiting patients into the study, uh, who are um, you know, collecting samples, archiving samples, uh, analyzing clinical data set, um, you know, and just a whole variety of uh uh, tasks that are needed to happen in order for us to study immune response to COVID-19. So we're very fortunate to be in a place where we can do this. And and so what have you found so far? Yeah, so uh, we're finding, uh, you know, as I mentioned in real time, um, some patients um, that come in the hospital, uh, you know, uh, do well um, and they recover and they get discharged and others who go on to develop uh, worse disease. And what we're finding is that the immune response during the first 10 to 12 days of symptom onset uh, can really inform us about how they might do in the future. So it's almost like uh, we can predict the disease trajectory of patients based on the very early uh, immune signatures that we're, de- we're detecting from patients. And so, I, I mean, that that seems to make sense because we know that people who are immunodeficient or immunocompromised um, tend to have more severe illness with COVID-19. Um, but aside from, you know, not having a, a, an immunodeficiency, do we know in normal people, I mean, we, we've heard on the news, you know, people who are otherwise perfectly healthy um, succumbing to COVID-19. Uh, so, so do we know what it is about their immune system that put them more at risk? And perhaps more importantly, do we know what we can do to mitigate that, to ramp up people's immune systems, to potentially give them a boost or, or to test to make sure that their immune system is strong enough to uh, fight this virus? I mean, have we gotten that far in terms of the research? I think we're getting there. Uh, I wouldn't say we're there yet, uh, but we are understanding a lot about, uh, you know, uh, at least with respect to the immune response, how patients are responding to this virus and what that does to uh, viral clearance versus um, disease such as cytokine storm. And to get back to your question about um, some people who are otherwise very healthy or who've gotten the COVID-19 and did uh, very poorly with this disease, um, part of it has to do with the viral exposure. I feel like, you know, if you're being exposed to a large 
dose of virus. And if you're inhaling that virus into the deep uh, respiratory area, then that might uh, cause a, a different type of disease than if you were getting just a, a few, you know, viral particles up your nose and they're just sort of remaining in the upper respiratory tract. Um, and so one has to do with the viral exposure and the dose. And the other has to do with what I was talking about, the uh, person's propensity to develop a different type of immune response. So for instance, the people who are doing well with this disease appear to um, focus their response in um, tissue repair mechanisms. So um, people who can uh, secrete growth factors to repair the damage in the lung um, are, are doing better, while those people who are uh, initiating more of the cytokine storm type of response, uh, even early during the infection, uh, tend to do worse. So I think a lot has to do with uh, viral dose exposure, the route of exposure, as well as um, the propensity of developing different types of immune responses. So tell us a little bit more about this cytokine storm response. Uh, what is that exactly? So, yeah, you hear often about the cytokine storm. It's essentially what happens when the immune system is triggered by the virus infection in a matter without um, any kind of having any breaks. So uh, usually what happens during an infection with a virus is that the virus is um, it triggers some, some sort of cytokine response, but quickly the innate and adaptive immune response contains that virus so that uh, the response is, uh, you know, uh, tapered down within, you know, a few days. Whereas in this case of COVID-19, some patients are having this very prolonged and uh, uncontrolled uh, cytokine release. And when that happens, uh, the cytokines themselves could have toxic impact on uh, delicate tissues such as the uh, lung and the uh, microvasculature that are surrounding the alveoli. So um, it's really having a negative impact rather than trying to contain the virus. And so uh, one of the, the key hallmark of um, disease progression appears to be having these kind of cytokine storm even during early uh, in infection. Yeah. So it's, it'll be important to understand which people have which kind of response so that we can kind of predict uh, how people will do uh, to COVID-19. We're going to learn more about that right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about COVID-19 and cancer with my guest, Dr. Akiko Iwasaki. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to change how cancer is treated with personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about colorectal cancer. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable. And as a result, it's recommended that men and women over the age of 50 have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatments. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Akiko Iwasaki. 
We're talking about her research looking into COVID-19. And right before the break, Akiko, you were talking about how you were really looking at the immune response um, and using this to really predict who was going to do well versus who was not going to do well after a COVID-19 infection. And one of the things you mentioned was that there was a difference between people who uh, mounted uh, an immune response that was really localized, where they had an ability to repair tissues, versus people whose immune response was this, quote, cytokine storm, kind of where their immune system kind of went crazy and started attacking all kinds of things, and, and those people did less well. So my question to you is, do we know which kind of people are which? Like, you know, can we tell if I am going to be the kind of a person who is going to have a localized response or whether my immune system goes crazy? I mean, are there factors that predict that? Either, you know, my medical history, if I have uh, autoimmune conditions, for example, uh, race, gender, age, like what, what goes into that? Do we know? Yes. So we're starting to find out that there are certain factors, uh, host factors that affect how people respond in, in a matter that's um, protective versus, uh, you know, non, non-protective and harmful. And one of the factors that we're finding is that uh, women tend to do better with COVID-19 disease than men. And this has been reported throughout the world. Uh, and we're honing in on why that uh, the sex makes a difference in our uh, ability to fight off this infection. And one of the things that are coming out from this study, which is supported by a women's uh, health research at Yale, um, is the fact that women make better T-cell response, while men tend to make these cytokine storm type of response, especially as they age. Hmm. That's really interesting. Do we know why that is? I mean, does that have something to do with... Uh, estrogen versus testosterone. Mind you, you know, we would expect that as women age, their estrogen levels go down. So why, what might be the under, underlying uh, mechanism of that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we, we don't know whether uh, sex hormones like testosterone or estrogen uh, can be the only answer to this question. And especially as you say, we're looking at Patients in the age group of, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, where these sex hormones may not be playing uh, a big role. And so the molecular underpinning of why women do better is still unclear. But what we do know is that if you uh, plot uh, age and T-cell response in the different um, uh, sex groups, women tend to age better in terms of T-cell immunity, that even older women are able to mount a a pretty robust T-cell response uh, during this COVID-19 infection, whereas men who uh, age uh, in the in the older group uh, tend to really be a poor inducer of T cell response, and that correlates with uh, uh, their pro- poor prognosis going um, going in the future. So it really is painting a picture that women tend to age better with the immune response. Hmm. I mean, that, that's fascinating. I, I wonder too. You know, there are certain autoimmune. Uh, 
conditions. Uh, so things like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, for example, where your immune system attacks your thyroid that are more prevalent in women versus men. So is it that women have a stronger immune system or is it that their immune system just tends to be better regulated against COVID-19 because um, men have more likely this cytokine storm condition than women? Yes. Um, so it is true that many, many autoimmune diseases have um, female prevalence, um, you know, and, and so and it's also true that for other viruses, women do take tend to make uh, better immune response. Uh, even for flu vaccines, it's been shown that women mount a better T cell uh, and antibody response to vaccines. So it, it may be that women, um, you know, because of their propensity to mount a better immune response, uh, they're doing better with this COVID-19 disease, whereas men, especially as they age, they they fail to mount a, a very good adaptive immune response, and therefore they are uh, secreting more cytokine because of their inability to uh, kill the infected cells and uh, control the virus better. And so do we know, I I guess, two questions. First question is, do we know for women um, what are predisposing factors that make women do worse? So are there other factors other than gender that may play a role or that may interact um, that would predispose one woman to do well um, versus some women to do poorly? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, we don't really know what other um, factors influence how women uh, are, you know, tend to do worse with this disease. One of the things that we um, obtained from this particular study is that women who tend to make cytokine uh, response, like the cytokine storm type of response, uh, do worse with this disease. So even if they are able to mount a robust T-cell immunity, if they're also triggering the cytokine response, then uh, they tend to do poorly. Uh, So it's really a balance between their ability to mount you know, cytok- like regulate the cytokine response at the same time as mounting a robust T cell response uh, that tend to uh, dictate uh, the, their disease trajectory. But we don't know, aside from gender, what really causes people, some people to have more of a cytokine storm response versus not. Right. Um, so the one thing other than the age, which is a very clear um, um, sort of disease risk factor, the other thing that came out of this study is the um, BMI. So uh, especially men who tended to do worse with this disease had higher BMI. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, obesity is contributing to disease progression, especially in men, uh, not so much in women. So what makes women uh, suffer from worse disease outcome is still um, unclear. And so in men, is it that their BMI actually uh, changes their immune response such that higher BMI is associated with more of this cytokine storm? Or is it working through another independent pathway? Yeah, another really great question. That's something that um, we are planning to look at more carefully. 
Um, so our first study is currently uh, posted on MedArchive, which is a preprint server. Um, and we've done this first analysis, but there are a lot of questions that we want to dig into, one including the uh, BMI question and the other including whether uh, sex hormones or other um, parameters that are associated with women can explain some of the, the features that we're seeing. Yeah. And and I guess the other question that I have is, you know, sadly, we can't do much about, you know, the gender that we're born with. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, and this may be a question that is difficult to look at, but in people who are transgendered, um, people who have changed their gender, what happens to their immunity and therefore their risk um, in terms of COVID-19? Yes, another really great question. Uh, unfortunately, because of the number of patients recruited being rather limited, it's less than 100 patients, uh, we didn't have enough um, number to dissect what happens to uh, transgendered people uh, in our cohort. But that's something we would love to get into in the future, especially once we understand better the molecular um, basis for the differences in sex, we can actually track those molecules to see what happens in transgender settings and whether uh, that would dictate their ability to mount a a protective immunity um, or a uh, more harmful immune response. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to tie in as well to uh, your studies that you're planning in the future, looking at hormones and certainly, you know, people who um, have to take exogenous hormones as they're transitioning. Um, that may that may certainly play a role. Um, and then I guess the other question is, OK, let's suppose that you have whatever immunity you have. And let's suppose that, you know, is there a way to know so, for example, could you take a blood sp- sp- specimen from me and tell me, um, Anise, you're more likely to have a cytokine storm reaction versus you're more likely to have a, you know, adaptive uh, response? I mean, is there a way to tell that just um, in people in general? Yeah, so that would be the next, next step. <laughs> Once we understand, uh, right now we're focusing on infected people uh, to try to understand these immune differences. But ultimately, what we want to do is to be able to predict uh, a priori before the infection, whether a person might uh, do better or worse from this disease and what we can do to intervene. Uh, with the disease process. So another element that we're looking into is the genetics. Um, are there genetic differences uh, between people who do worse versus who recover from this disease, even accounting for all the other parameters we discussed, such as aging and BMI? Are there genetic differences that we can look into? Um, and that that may be able to kind of uh, play into this prediction uh, of what, what whether a person might do worse or better with this disease. Um, so there's a any, lot of, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. H- have you, have you found any racial differences that might give you a glimmer into, uh, into genetics? 
Right. So those types of studies really require thousands of patients. (laughs) And currently, this this particular study is focused really on uh, a handful, uh, well, about 100 patients. Um, And so the genetic studies that's ongoing at Yale uh, by Mike Murray and others are really recruiting, you know, thousands of patients to be able to look at these issues. And and, and so I'm hopeful that those answers will be uh, forthcoming. Yeah. And, and, you know, I realize that this is probably the next, next, next step is um, how exactly do you intervene? I mean, because regardless of whether you could tell me that, you know, I'm more likely to have a cytokine storm response or I'm more likely to have an adaptive response, are there ways that we can intervene um, that would help us to um, have a better immune response, whether to COVID-19 or anything else. I mean, um, mm-hmm. and whether that intervention is a, a drug or, or you know, some sort of uh, uh, intervention like that, or whether it would be something like, you know, a particular dietary intervention or getting more exercise, which seems to be the cure-all for everything these days, mm-hmm. um, and certainly would help with the BMI, at least in men. <laughs> I mean, do we have a sense, either from your current work or from your previous work, um, of what things might actually be helpful in terms of changing, or even is it possible to change people's innate immune response from one that is a cytokine storm to being a more adaptive immune response. Yes. Uh, so there are ways to intervene. For instance, uh, I, I mentioned that men who develop poor T cell immunity tend to do worse from COVID-19. Uh, what this tells us is that we should be enhancing their T cell response uh, in order for older men to fight this disease better. Um, so a vaccine uh, that might stimulate good T cell response might be a way to at least prevent, uh, you know, future uh, infection and disease in older men. Um, and similarly, women who have the cytokine storms uh, tend to do worse, even if they had good T cell immunity. So this means that uh, interventions uh, such as monoclonal antibodies to block cytokines uh, might be a, a, a good option for women who uh, already exhibit early levels of these cytokines. And getting back to uh, other interventions, um, so non, non-hospital interventions, uh, obviously getting exercise and getting enough sleep and, um, you know, reducing stress is in general very helpful. But we've also done a study where we fed animals a ketogenic diet and ketogenic diet um, protected these mice from disease that happened after influenza infection. And what the impact it had was interesting because it increased these um, innate-like lymphocytes, the gamma-delta T-cells in the lung, and they were better able to fight off influenza infection. So there may be a dietary uh, way of uh, you know, preventing um, uh, severe diseases from respiratory infections. 
Dr. Akiko Iwasaki is the Waldemar von Zedwitz Professor of Immunobiology and a Professor of Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.